I love a good underdog story. I always like rooting for the underdog. It doesn't really matter what sport it is. There's just something about watching a team succeed that has no real chance of doing so. Great underdog upsets. Those are the kind of sporting events that get turned into, you know, feel-good movies later on. Uh, but today, we're going to talk about an underdog story out of the Bible. You see, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul outlines what may be the greatest underdog story in all of history. Uh, it's especially important for you and me because if we look closely, we find ourselves in the story. We see that God has a message for us 2,000 years after Paul first wrote those words to the church in the city of Ephesus. So, if you'll join me, the word of the Lord, starting in Ephesians uh, chapter 3 and verse 7, says this. Of this gospel, I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. There's two quick things I want us to catch just from the beginning of this as we start unpacking this passage. First, Paul had a calling. He was made a minister. It was a specific calling. He, he didn't decide what he was going to do. He was given his task by Christ. And the second thing I want us to see is that the gospel is a mystery. Paul refers to this gospel as a mystery. Now, it wasn't a mystery because it was confusing. That's not what made it a mystery. It was a mystery because it was once hidden but has now been revealed. Uh, this becomes a central point in Paul's explanation moving forward. You see, after telling the Ephesian church members that he was made a minister of this gospel, Paul continues by explaining to them what his ministry looks like, what it is God has tasked him to do. And this is where I really want us to focus our attention today. What does this ministry look like? So Paul outlines that ministry in two specific tasks and one very important outcome. Two tasks, one outcome. First, let's take a look at the tasks. We find the first task in verse 8. He says this, he says, To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Of course, we need to realize here that preaching does not primarily mean what I'm doing right now. Now, we can include what I'm doing, but the word used in this passage, well, it's really broader than that. It really means to speak the gospel to people. Well, that could happen like this, but more often the New Testament uh, is talking about something broader. It's, you see, preaching is really referring to conversations in small groups of people or, or between two individuals. 
So Paul is really just talking about speaking the gospel to people who haven't heard it. Uh, now that may be done one-on-one, may be done in small groups, or it may be done in a more formal setting like a church service. Uh, the other word that I want us to make sure we understand is Gentiles. You see, the word Gentiles is used in the Bible really to mean people who are not Jews. But I want us to really understand the significance of that. You see, the Greek term that is used here, it's the same one we translate as nations in other passages, like the Great Commission in Matthew, where it says, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, if we read the passage that way, we realize that the gospel that we're supposed to be preaching is for all nations. No one is excluded. And that it is our responsibility to share the gospel with everyone, no matter where they are from, no matter what they look like, no matter what they currently believe. Task one is to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And the second task follows. It's in verse 9. It says this, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. You see, God has had a plan from the very beginning. From cover to cover, the Bible tells us about God's plan, about this mystery, as Paul calls it, about his multifaceted or manifold wisdom. You see, in the beginning, God made everything right and pure. And then man, well, man sins in the garden, and sin entered the world. But right after the fall, we see that God promises a way to fix the mess. He promises that a seed of the woman would one day crush the head of the serpent. That's the very first proclamation of the gospel in the Bible. It's all the way up in the very beginning. And then only a few chapters later, God promises Abraham that it's through his lineage all of the world will one day be blessed. Many years later, King David is told that he will one day have a son that will sit on his throne and rule for all eternity. The prophets in the Old Testament, they speak of his coming. The one who would bless all nations. The one who would sit on the throne of David forever. And then finally, in the Gospels, we meet him. You see, Jesus is the one who crushes the head of the serpent. He is the one from the line of Abraham that will bless all nations. He is the heir to the throne of David, whose kingdom will have no end. It's by his death, by his sacrifice, that we are healed. That evil that stained the world in the Garden of Eden, it can be erased by the blood of the Lamb. And not just for the Jews, but for all the nations of the world. That, that is the multifaceted wisdom of God. That is the mystery that has been hidden for ages. And we see that it's now revealed because of Jesus. So Paul outlines for us these two central tasks of the mission. Task one, to preach the gospel to those who've not yet heard or accepted. And the second, to shed light on how God's plan will unfold. And Paul, he accomplishes that last task by starting new churches all over the Mediterranean. 
So if those were the tasks, then let's take a look at the outcome. There's two tasks, one outcome, right? So what is that outcome? Why did God have Paul and, well, by extension, the rest of the church doing these things? So he tells us right there in verse 10 uh, what the outcome is. What's the reason for doing this? It's so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. But the question, right? Known to whom? Well, again, he tells us to the rulers and the authorities in the heavens. You see, Paul has already said that his work is proclaiming and revealing this mystery to all nations, to all people. Well, now Paul goes even further with this astonishing statement that the outcome is so that God's manifold wisdom may now be made known to the hosts of heaven as well. The mystery of God, it's to be revealed to all of creation, to everyone on the earth and to everyone above the earth. But perhaps the most outstanding part of all of this, it's actually how God says he accomplishes revealing this plan. Paul tells us, again, right here in the text, the agent of God's plan, the, the ones who will accomplish it, it's the church. As Paul and others uh, preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to the nations, they, they begin to form churches. And these churches, they then become engines of gospel proclamation, the revealers of the mystery. Uh, the members of these little churches, they begin speaking the gospel to their family and friends, to, to their co-workers and their neighbors. And then those churches are the center of God's plan to reveal his manifold wisdom to those on earth and to those above the earth. Think of it like this. God is writing a story throughout all of history. It's a grand drama from beginning to the end that will ultimately reveal his great glory as creator and sovereign Lord over all that he has made. All of the universe is a giant stage. And right there in the center of the stage is the church. The church lives out God's great plan. You see, after Christ's resurrection and ascension, now the church takes center stage. It becomes the main actor in the grand drama. Now, let me be clear here. That doesn't mean that we're the ones who make the drama happen. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're the ones with the power to remove sin and fix the world. It does mean, however, we are the ones at the center stage through which God will reveal his manifold wisdom. It's not the powerful governments of this world with their rulers making decisions that shape the course of nations. That's not who this verse singles out. Governments are not center stage in history. It's also not the great businesses of the world that generate the world's wealth. Corporations are not center stage. It's not the scientific discoveries that are happening at the world's best universities. Listen, it's not even the angels or spiritual beings who will reveal to all the universe God's manifold wisdom. Paul says they are sitting in the audience watching the drama take place. So who is center stage? 
It's the church. The simple, ordinary church. You see, in this passage, well, Paul lets us in on the mystery. That same mystery that was hidden for the ages. It's now clear. And what a startling surprise, right? God's great plan for the cosmos. It unfolds in little gatherings of believers, just like ours, all over the world. Biblical scholar by the name of John Stott, he notes that there are three important truths about the church in this passage. Truth one, the church is central to history. The church is central to history. Here's something for you to chew on for a while. Among all the human institutions of the world, only the church survives history. When the old earth passes away, and the kingdom of God is finally and fully consummated in a new heavens and a new earth, well, the Bible tells us it's the church, not any nation or corporation, not any social or political ideology that will one day rule alongside Christ in the new kingdom. So the church is central to all of history. Uh, the second truth is this, that the church is central to the gospel as well. The church is central to the gospel. You see, the church is both created by the gospel and the way others find out about the gospel. It's created by the gospel because we're not just saved out of something. We're saved into something. If we rightly understand the gospel, then well, we realize it saves us out of sin, but it also saves us into Christ's body. There's Quite frankly, no biblical category for a Christian who is not a part of a local church. Today, we've gotten comfortable with that category, but there are no examples in the New Testament of Christians, uh, genuine Christians, people who've been made into new creations by the power of the gospel, who exist apart from a local assembly of believers. So the church is created by the gospel, but the church's mission is also to proclaim the gospel. Christ was very clear that the mission of the church, and that means the mission of those of us who belong to the church, is to speak the gospel and make disciples of all nations. That means we all have a very, very important task. The church itself is not the good news. Let's be clear on that point. But it is a result of the good news. The church it cannot save the world or fix society. Christ saves the world, and he will one day return to transform the world into a perfect kingdom. Now, it's not the church that saves the world, but it is our job to let everyone know who does. We are the ones that Christ has trusted to continue sharing the message of salvation with anyone who will listen. And we do so with our mouths. We share the gospel with our words. But we also demonstrate it in how we join together in community as a local church. The church and the way we live together now, how we treat those outside of the church. Well, it should be a little preview of the kingdom that is to come. So the church is what's central to the gospel. And finally, truth three, the church is central to Christian living. You see, the church is necessary to live the Christian life well. Let me repeat it. 
There is no biblical category for a Christian that is not part of a local church. Uh, a fairly famous biblical scholar by the name of Kent Hughes, he, uh, he says it this way, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, just like you don't have to go home to be married. I'll let you chew on that one for a second. But I cannot stress enough how important the local church is to your life. You need each other. We all need each other. Your church, well, it's essential for your holiness. We teach one another, not just from the pulpit, but with our lives as we live together. Church members, the way you treat each other, well, it should teach each other and people outside the church about the gospel. The church is also essential for your joy. When we love one another as the church should, we bear one another's burdens. And this produces the joy of the Christian life. You may have a lot of friends or a big family, but no other group of people can supply for the Christian the joy that comes from real, biblical community. And your church is essential for your purpose and ministry. Just as Paul had a specific ministry given to him by God, so do we. If you've crossed the line of faith, then you've been grafted into God's church and you've been enlisted into God's mission. There are no exceptions to that. Uh, the only way to truly participate in the mission of the church well, it's to do so through the ministry of your local church. That the church would be this important, this central to the world, that was God's plan all along. In fact, in verse 11, Paul tells us so. He says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, I know this sounds like an overwhelming responsibility, right? How can a regular, ordinary congregation be expected to do this? Paul gives us some comfort in that way too. He tells us in verse 12 that it is in him that we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. You see, we can step into this important role as the church and we can do so confidently. Why? Because we have access to God himself through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The reason I wanted us to look at this chapter today was so that I could encourage you. You see, this passage, it shows us why what happens with our church matters so much. Being a committed member of a local congregation, that matters more than you can ever really understand. Because of your church, the heavenly hosts get to watch the very plan of God unfold. Perhaps you're a Christ follower and you're listening to this and can't say you have a church family. If that's you, well, I, wanna, I wanna challenge you, I wanna encourage you to find one. Now, we're happy for you to press in here at Neartown. But if not here, find a church home. You need it. We all do. Uh, or maybe, uh, maybe you've not yet crossed that line of faith. If that's you, know that God has a plan.
He's had a plan from the very beginning. And at the very center of that plan is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Christ heals the brokenness in us. And he will one day return to put an end to all of the brokenness in the world. He promises a new life of peace and joy, lived in real community with others. That's found in the church, and it is available to you. Finally, let me speak directly to those of you who already call Neartown your church home. Consider it a family member to family member statement. Uh, it would be easy right now to distance yourself from our church, but it would be a mistake to do so. Now, more than ever, is a time to push in, especially when it seems like everything is conspiring to keep us apart. Uh, it's good and right for us to be cautious about being physically present during this season, but there's a time coming when we will begin to gather again. Don't let a habit of distance keep you from being ready for that moment. If you ever struggle to find purpose in what happens here, uh, if you ever get tired of the effort of trying to love and serve one another, if you get tired of speaking the gospel to each other and to those outside of your group, if you ever think that your church can't accomplish big things, know that this ordinary church is the thing God has chosen to reveal his wisdom to the cosmos. It's more valuable than you or I can comprehend. It's worth living for, and it's worth working for.